Welcome to Live at the Nutpa, episode 14. You're here with JB. And David Cunningham. Episode 14, JB. That's over three months worth. So today, what are we going to talk about? Um, I reckon interest rates, because we've seen all the banks sort of get to the same level. And it's pretty interesting to just sort of think about why are they there? What's the rationale for interest rates after? I think we probably called interest rates at a peak a month or two ago, and they've since risen. So let's sort of explore why. Perhaps look at some of the underlying influences with inflation, what's happening yeah. sort of globally. And be good to also talk about the yield curve in terms of you can get a much lower three or five year rate than you can get a one year rate at the moment. So, you know, maybe explore what, what the best strategy be is. Yeah. So interest rates is the theme of the day. And we'll throw in any with anything else that takes a fancy, I guess, JB. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, I wouldn't mind talking to the building consent numbers. Okay. We, we talked Sweet. We talked construction last week and consent numbers just came out and they're down 20% year on year. So, you know, the construction sector is definitely going into a pretty tough recession. So more people arriving, fewer houses being built. Um, and from what we've talked about previously, the sort of oversupply, especially in Auckland apartments and things like that, has sort of been eaten up as students and tourists have returned. Is yeah, well, I guess that, that, that's true. But, um, you know, so, so we repeat the same cycle we've always repeated, which is we'll end up with a shortage of houses again. But in the near term, you know, you've got to say that, you know, construction sector that's facing that kind of negative growth is mm. going to be quite contractionary. So, so why fewer consents? I mean, ultimately, there's a buyer of every house, hopefully, if you're a builder. So does that mean there aren't buyers and therefore builders and construction firms have dialed back the number of buildings they're doing? Yeah. Or is there another influence? Is it, is it a cost-driven thing? Is it a funding-driven thing from you know, bank funding and the like? Well, I think it's a combination of everything, right? So, so firstly, you know, the biggest problem that developers have got is that they've got stuck with high land prices that they purchased at the peak. Right. And, you know, land prices for development land's probably down at least 30%. So they've got high input costs. Mm-hmm. They've struggled to get pre-sales, certainly at mm-hmm. old prices, so they've had to drop their prices. So, mm-hmm. th- th- and they've faced construction cost inflation. So, you know, high land prices, construction cost inflation equals bad economics for their yep. project prices, and falling house prices. So yeah. if they built now having bought the land a money. year or two ago, they'd be losing money. And so what do you do as a developer in that situation? Well, that's a challenge, right? Because it depends. If you've got a good paying PA where a job, you just keep working, right? But right. a lot of developers and builders, this is what they do. This is where the income comes from. So yeah. when they stall, they have no income, which means they can't borrow more money, which means they kind of get you know, sort of hung out to dry. So there's a lot of uh, projects out there that haven't got started and won't get started. Yeah. Um, so what will be the trigger for a turn in that? Will it be house prices rising that suddenly make it economic again? Is that the trigger or lower interest rates, which will make it cheaper for them to do the development? Though I guess the interest cost isn't a big component of the development. No, it won't be. There's three things that solve the problem. One is a whole lot of builders going bust and developers going bust increase in mortgagee sales. Market cleans uh, itself. Market cleans yeah. itself out, mm-hmm. right? Second is that they're able to hold on long enough that, mm-hmm. as you say, house prices come back a bit, uh, economics work, they can get their project done. Mm-hmm. And get their project done. Third third option is, is, is probably just do nothing. 
Mm. And um, and I suspect that's what a lot of them are doing at the moment. Mm. Just sort of surviving, yeah. So, so what does that mean then for house prices? Uh, I mean, in the past we've talked about how construction costs have now caught up with the cost of a house. When you look at the construction cost index and the house price index, I know you've just gone back to sort of 25 years of data pretty much and you know really can reach the same conclusion looking at inflation versus house prices so yeah the, the interesting thing for me will be whether or not you see some level of deflation coming through in the construction sector so yeah. as a sector yeah. as much as we've talked about all this inflation some of that inflation was literally just driven by a massive supply demand imbalance yeah. right yeah. 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 in terms of materials yeah. Yeah. we're on the other side of that now yeah. we've got a supply surplus yeah. relative so in to fact demand. we talked about that last week uh, with Jason yeah. um, down in Queenstown who was saying construction prices for many input goods are falling slightly. So yeah, yeah. I mean that's positive for inflation, right? Well and if you think about it, China. China is in negative inflation at the moment on its yeah. production index. Um, it's struggling because it's oversupplying goods into a global market that's not growing fast enough, right? Mm. Um, so you know, in terms of all the stuff that we import from China, mm. it's getting cheaper. Yeah. Um, forestry. Um, timber prices are down, mm, uh, down a reasonable chunk actually, I think they're down about what, 20%? So, so what that adds up to then, construction costs aren't going up, house prices are stable now, probably is the way to describe it, not increasing strongly, immigration is still flowing. Yeah, um, but uh, let's quickly talk to immigration because, you know, um, there's quality immigration, there's immigration, right? right. So. You know, New Zealand's always operated with a very large temporary workforce. In the old days, what happened is we we gave away working visas to foreign students. It was mm -hmm. a bit of a scam, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. We bring in all these foreign students, they pay some guys to do some pretty shit courses, mm -hmm. they make lots of money, uh, and then the reason they come out is they get a work visa at the end of it, mm -hmm. and then they hopefully turn it into New Zealand residency. But you had this massive population of international students studying and then um, working afterwards. Great for the country, right? And then you had all these backpackers and I guess all these sort of temporary immigrants that, that work in our country. They all disappeared during COVID. Mm. And you know we were really short. Mm. And so we needed to open the borders and bring a whole lot more people in. Mm. But what have we brought in? Mm. I mean, look, we've brought in truck drivers, which is good. We had such mm. a massive shortage. We brought in bus drivers because we had a shortage. Um, but we're bringing in lots of people into hospitality, mm. retail. Mm. Um, I think one of the biggest categories coming in was massage therapists. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and, and obviously builders, but not yeah. qualified builders, mm. labourers. Construction workers as opposed to... Workers, yeah. 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 So, um, you know, so... So what's your point? Is that the nature of the immigration isn't driving more demand, it's massive lift in demand for houses it's in itself? Well, no, I don't think so. I, I mean, look, I, you know, if you bring in a whole lot of temporary workers from the Philippines to um, work on construction sites, they're going to live, you know, five mm. to a room, mm. probably 15 to a house, mm. um, temporarily, and uh, when the economy slows down, they'll head back to the Philippines off to the next country. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it, it's not the sort of immigration that's going to drive house prices. It's, okay. it's very transitory. It's mm. not high school labor that's coming in. It's basically filling up the vacuum yeah. from, you know, from COVID. Well, that's sort of good news for the Reserve Bank when it looks at, you know, because it, it sort of 
got a mandate to look at house prices, but you know their primary mandate is about inflation. But they wouldn't like to see house prices sort of surge away again. You know, as we've said, they're back at what they regard as I think their language was um, reasonable levels or something like that, which is yeah. very ambiguous. But 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 what what does that all add up to mean for interest rates? I mean, ultimately, it's about inflation, isn't it? You know, that's their mandate. Yeah. So I, I was just looking at overseas inflation, and I guess the thing that's become really clear is that the thing to look at isn't headline inflation. Like in the US, headline inflation got to 7 or 8%, but it's the core inflation, which is in the US, the measure they use is uh, inflation excluding energy prices and food, you know, two very volatile yeah. things. And what was interesting was that headline inflation has fallen from sort of 7 or 8% to 3%. So that feels really reasonable, right? Yeah, there surely, was gas surely, prices coming back. Surely right? the tightening cycle's over, but when you look at core inflation, it's been steady at 4% for at least two years now. Yeah. And that's the number to watch and worry about, which is sort of why the Fed has continued to tighten. In New Zealand, it's the non-tradables inflation is our most yeah. sort of equivalent sort of thing. And again, you know, that seems to be the number economists are focusing on, and that's the number that those economists that are picking another hike in the OCR are saying is the problem. So I suppose that's the one to, to watch. Flip side of that, of course, is we've still got a lot of people on low interest rates that are going to go up um, as they roll off those longer-term fixed rates that they had two, three years ago. So, you know, we've still got more tightening to happen. And, and I guess that brings us back to, you know, we have seen fixed mortgage rates go up a quarter percent in the last four weeks. Yep. What, what's the reason for that? Well, I think... This, I mean, longer term swap rates or the interest, you know, longer term interest rates have been quite volatile lately to sort of trying to figure out what's happening with global inflation. Yeah. And, you know, they, it jumps around a bit. I mean, those rates came up. The banks took the opportunity to then pass it on to borrowers through higher fixed mortgage rates um, to be expected at the moment. Um, interesting that the short term though, uh, shorter terms, you know, that one year fixed housing rate, I mean, that was margin expansion from the banks, right? And we talked to that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you can look at the swap rates and say, well, quarter percent higher for two to five year terms, fair call for the banks to put those rates up. Why, why, are, they, why are those rates, swap rates gone up? It's because, you know, wholesale markets, there are many participants still pricing in either another hike in the OCR or at least that the OCR doesn't go down for a prolonged period of time, at least another year. One year, as you say, um, the swap rate's pretty much the same, around about sort of 5.8. It has been at that level for, for five or six weeks, and yet the one-year lending rate's gone up a quarter percent. So, you know, and, and that's actually the favoured term too, isn't it, the one-year rate for customers? Is that what you're seeing in the advisory side of the business, JB? Yeah, yeah. No, look, I mean, it would be fair to say, you know, at the top of an interest rate cycle, our I'll call it house advice is generally to fix short at the moment. Yeah. Uh, in anticipation that rates will eventually fall, mm -hmm. um, how quickly anyone's guess, my, my view would be sort of, you know, um, probably middle of next year. Um, the, um, the, the risk is really interesting, right? So I think you, you mentioned that there's been a bit of a spike in uh, borrowers going out to some of those longer term fixed rates at the moment? Yeah, yeah. well the thing is right now three year fixed rates, all the banks are funnily enough at the same level which is 6.49 um, whereas the one year rates are 
generally around about five and a quarter. Kiwi Bank's the exception at six ninety nine, so that's a pretty good deal. But I think what you're saying is you're seeing most banks offering around seven. Around seven percent for a year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So around seven percent for a year, maybe a bit more, and six sort of fifty, six forty nine for three years. So yeah, we've seen a lift from about five percent of all flows in April to twelve percent of all flows in May, which is the latest data from the Reserve Bank going into three year or longer fixed terms. So we're already seeing that lower long term rate is encouraging customers to take the lower rate to avoid a bit more pain now. Now, is that wise for customers? Every customer situation is different. I mean, my observation, having been through cycles before, and I think back to the previous two cycles, but the one um, around the GFC was particularly nasty. Most people go out to longer term fixed rates to get some sort of interest rate relief from the lower rate. It's it's not driven by the need for certainty, it's, it's yeah. driven by, whoa, things so, are tight at the moment. So a bit like what we're seeing now, you know, 7% interest rates, I can get six and a half or even lower, I think Westpac might have a yeah. five year at 5.99 still. Yeah. Um, so I'll take a lower percent lower rate. Of course, the problem with that is. <laughs> well, the problem is, is probably twofold, right? The first problem is if you sell your house right. and interest rates have fallen, yeah. you could end up with a very large break fee. Yep. Now you can normally take your loan with you, though, can't you? You, you can, yeah. you can, and so that it, it, you know, provided you buy and sell at the same time, you could right. move your loan and avoid a break fee that way. So that's that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And those break fees could be quite big. So if we if we talked about a seven hundred thousand dollar home loan, mm-hmm. and we said you fixed it for five years at I don't know, let's say six percent, and interest rates fall back to a sort of a long run average and. Let's sort of say the mortgage rate ends up around circa five. So there's a one percent, mm-hmm. maybe one and a half percent reduction in, in, yeah. in rates, and you've got three years left on it. Yeah. That one and a half percent on seven hundred thousand equals a little over ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars per year times per year. three. Correct. So you'd have so a thirty thousand dollar break fee. Yeah. So it might seem like I guess if you get a one percent lower rate for. I don't know, one year or two years, that's sort no, of saved No you. one ever likes a break for No, you know, it's gonna hit you, yeah, it's not gonna say, yeah. So if interest rates fall substantially, yes, you're locked in, so you don't get the benefit of any rate falls, and if you have to, the break costs will run into the potentially tens of thousands yeah. of dollars. And so what, what we saw last time is, you know, generally the one that really upsets people is they're selling their house, and mm. they're not expecting it, they're suddenly like, what? A $30,000 fee? Mm. To, you know, on top of the real estate agent fees and everything else, mm. and and they're not prepared for it, and it, it's quite confronting. Mm. Mm. The um, and, and look, we're going to see that even with shorter term fixed rates, you know, mm. people just need to be conscious that if you break a fixed rate in a falling rate environment, mm. uh, there there can be significant costs involved. Yeah. Hey, I broke just to, as an interlude. Mm. I broke a fixed rate recently, yeah. and there was no break, co- absolutely no break costs. So what's the what's what, why was that? I know, but just uh, you, to you know because yeah. the rate that you are on was lower than the current rate. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think I broke it six months early because uh, yeah. I wanted to repay something. Yeah. So yeah. So it all depends on what's happened to interest rates. If they've fallen since you took out your rate, you'll probably pay a break cost. If they've risen since you took out your rate, you'll probably there'll pay be nothing. no break fees. Yeah. yeah. So so for like since probably two thousand and ten ish. Yeah. No one's really experienced break fees because you know we've basically been in a in a um, sort of a rates have been were falling relatively for a flat. Of years. Well, relatively yeah. flat, yeah. and I mean or, there's or been yeah, yeah. there's been periods where they fell again, I guess, around COVID and stuff. But people were 
staying short term fixed, mm. didn't really notice it much at all. Um, but you know, I always remember um, biggest break fee I saw in two thousand and eight was um, one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Holy crap! <laughs> yeah, it was this old fella. He'd been, he'd gone and he'd done a whole lot of fixed rates at eight nine five, uh-huh. five year fixed rates. Because remember, at the time the floating rate was about ten and a half eleven percent. Yeah, and the five year fixed rate was a, a very attractive eight nine five. Mm. And uh, he went and fixed a whole lot for five years mm. and uh, on his investment properties and stuff. And he was desperate to get out of it, break for 130000 He ended up not breaking. He stayed in those loans, paid the 895 for, for for the remaining four years. Right. Um, and look, I guess that's the point is that, you know, if you sell a property, it materializes the break fee. Um, but what you also sort of see is you get this kind of, you know, you get a whole lot of people out there fixing at whatever rate, say five point, uh, six point four nine at the moment. Rates end up at about four and a half to five percent. They desperately want to get down there mm-hmm. because they know it's going to create a lot of cash flow for them. Yeah. Uh, but they can't get out of their loan, mm-hmm. not without a big cost. Mm-hmm. Hey, so what about flip side of the coin? Go back two and a half years, two years even. We had. Um, interest rates extremely low and I was yep. sort of looking at some data we had uh, you know the, th- the two-year rate the three-year fixed rate was about 279 the one year was about 219 I think was yep. the low yeah but at that time I think we got up about 20 to 25 percent of people took those longer-term fixed rates yeah why the hell didn't all of us take take those like what's the psychology of you know, 279, a really low rate, <laughs> but hey, I could get 219 for one year, so I took one year. Most people took one year. And yeah, look, at, uh, hey, look, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, and and I, I don't know, I, I, I guess at the time, I guess at the time it didn't it didn't look like rates were gonna go anywhere fast. You just gotta put yourself back into that COVID period, right, where mm. it looked like we were potentially gonna be in a, a very nasty recession. I mean, mm. at one stage there we all thought the world was coming to an end, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I mean, look, in, in hindsight, the amount of financial stimulus that was provided into the economy has driven inflation and inflation's pushed these rates up way faster than um, I guess any of us have historically uh, experienced. Um, but at the time, rates were low, they were benign. Uh, it didn't really look like anything was going anywhere. Maybe the warning clue that, that, you know, that was there just flashing big red lights was the acceleration in house prices that occurred over that period. You know, the, the money that flew into asset prices and, mm. and they just got completely out of whack, right? And I think everyone was looking at house prices saying, this is out of control. Yeah. Um, yeah maybe that was the warning sign to sort of say, hey, these low rates are, are not going to last. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but then, you know, interest rates are driven by inflation. So house price inflation doesn't necessarily equal industry, you know, nationwide inflation, does it? No, so, no. So maybe, I mean, yeah, no. yeah, they were out of whack and so on. But yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of... Is there a threshold where you'd say, you know, below that level, a longer term fixed rate makes sense? Like, you know, at the moment, you'd, I suspect you'd say six and a half doesn't make sense to lock in long term unless you need that absolute certainty. But is there a level at which you go, well, it might be higher than the short term rate, say, a year, but hey, that's a sort of fair level to be locking in. Like, you know, like you say, yeah. we're all, we're all wish we'd locked in at 299 for five years. 
two years ago, right? Yeah, so we always look at implied forward rates and and from that, so what you're really sort of saying is if you look at the yield curve, what's it implying the track mm. of interest rates is going to look like and do you think interest rates will follow that track? Will they be above that level or below that level? And mm. and that tells you whether or not you're better fixing for long-term versus short-term. Look, I ran a, um, a, a, a sort of mathematical um, process, it's called a Monte Carlo simulation. I ran it across uh, historic uh, bank uh, mortgage rates. This is back when I was in the bank, so this is, it was about 30 years worth of data and it was a long time ago now because I've, I've been out of the banking system for a while. But um, when we did that and we assessed every interest rate strategy there was, about it was about 85% of the time the best strategy was to fix for a year. Okay, so so literally you ran thousands of scenarios, yeah. is that right, in terms of where yeah. rates had gone, but also yeah. where rates could go, yeah. and based on that, about 85% if you of just time, followed that strategy in the long term, yeah. sometimes you'd win, sometimes you'd lose, but, yeah. but at 85% you won a hell of a lot more than you lost, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, in, uh, fact, in fact, in Monte Carlo, you'd take that bet every time, wouldn't you? You would. <laughs> so, so, so that's the thing, right? Because I always say don't, don't, as much as we love to discuss interest rates and what's happening, and, um, you know, it, it's just a bet. Yeah, and yeah. Um, unless you've got real, you know, uh, no one, it's not perfect science, right? And so when you look at it long run, you just say fixing for a year yeah. is the lowest cost strategy long term. Right. Um, there does happen to be these little patches yeah. where um, it makes sense to fix longer term. And, and often that's obvious in hindsight, yeah. but not yeah. necessarily obvious at the time. Because yeah. you've got to remember that if the market's perfect and it's pricing everything in perfectly, you should be paying a premium to fix longer term right, for that yeah. certainty. You yeah. know, short term rates should yeah. be cheaper, yeah. Yeah. and they generally are. Yeah. Okay. So where we were back a couple of years ago, you had seventy or eighty point basis points difference, sort of getting up towards one percent difference between sort of one year and five year rates. That reflects a fair sort of risk premium. Which, hey, if you were prepared to take that risk premium, then you got a lot got it locked in a rate, but you were paying for it. Yeah, it, in hindsight, it turned out well. Yeah, so at very low rates, then more of an argument for going long. Otherwise, sticking pretty short. Of course, in most markets in the world, you just go floating, don't you? Well, that's it. I <laughs> yeah. mean, if you go to the Australian market, it's what about seventy to eighty percent floating. Yeah, yeah. Um, they don't even fix over there. So yeah. you know, this this whole industry we have about trying yeah. to decide whether we fix for one, two, three, four, five years. Yeah, it doesn't exist. doesn't exist yet. And then you go to the US market and it's the opposite again, it's right? It's 30-year. <laughs> it's entirely fixed, 30-year yeah. fixed rates. Yeah. But we've talked about it. I mean, that's why the whole uh, US retail banking system is in a complete sort of uh, mess yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is because they weren't hedging the risk. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... Um, there was quite a good article, I think the ANZ CEO penned this week, which is on, I think I saw it on LinkedIn, that talked about why we don't have 30-year fixed rates in New Zealand, and it really is because there's just not the depth of capital markets to lay off that risk. In the US, you can, but that still doesn't necessarily... <laughs> but they weren't, ...protect you, yeah. So, you know, so float, yeah, yeah. And, and the reason we don't have low floating rates is because that's where banks suck in big margins, right? Yeah, so so we're in a really interesting position at the moment because I think one of the things that yeah we've been discussing is you know New Zealand feels pretty bloody depressed to be honest. It mm. feels like we need a bit of Prozac. 
Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting. I, I was at this economic presentation today, and what's happened in the last year or two is the world has been way more resilient than economists and expected. And so, you know, we're all expecting recessions in Eurozone and you know, Australia, US, um, UK, New Zealand. And of all those countries, New Zealand's the only one that's actually got to zero growth. All the other countries are still one, two. Three three percent growth, and so you know the world's proved resilient, and so has that core inflation measure, which is why you've still got sort of tightening cycles going on. But yeah, I mean in New Zealand, we're in a bad way, you could argue. We've talked about construction industry, but hey, there's still a hell of a lot more of monetary policy tightening cycle to happen. I think a couple of months ago, the average mortgage rate we were paying was five. You know, the carded rate today, as you say, is seven. You know, yeah. wow, we've got a hell of a lot more pain to come. Which is, I think, why my view strongly view is that the Reserve Bank won't move interest rates up any, anymore because there's just so much tightening already happened. And the recent rises in interest rates from banks, not driven by the Reserve Bank, remember, but from banks, has effectively delivered a monetary policy hike, which is what I wrote yeah. about in an article uh, a week or so ago. It's going it's to be interesting. We've got the unemployment number coming out tomorrow, and I yeah. know the Reserve Bank's looking at that very closely yeah. Um, yeah. as yeah. our bank economists because that's really the... I guess the cue to whether or not yeah. this is under control. They yeah. need to see that unemployment rate increasing. Yeah. Now that doesn't necessarily mean people losing jobs, though, does it? Or does it? Well, because because if the if the working age population goes up and yeah. the same number of people are in work, then yeah. the unemployment rate goes up. So yeah, I guess you've yeah. got migration and all that sort of thing. You've got other so, things yeah. Because I think to you it. know the the economists sort of I've been sort of reading, um, are sort of saying work, uh, firms are still holding on to workers because yeah. they know what the pain is of not having enough workers is. So the last thing I want to do is give up my employees um, and then be faced with the sort of thing I've had for the last couple of years. But that is a big one to watch. So if that's a, a lift in unemployment rate, then we might see financial markets sort of breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. But I don't think we are, though, eh? I think it's still a little too early to yeah, expect yeah. to see the unemployment rate yeah. go up. I think it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, the, the reality is it's a bit like what you were saying before, you know, sort of outside in, in high-skilled industries, companies are going to hold on to their employees mm. as long as they can. We saw the same thing around the GFC. You know, with mm. the GFC, the unemployment rate didn't get anywhere near as high as it has in historic recessions, mm. right? Mm. And it was because companies would just take the hit to the bottom line to retain mm. staff mm. because they know on the other Long side thing. of it when the growth comes back it's so hard to get mm. good staff here mm. so you know in high skill industries I just don't think you're going to see um, businesses releasing staff mm. it really has to be in sort of the lower skill sectors mm. that it's, mm. it's happening so it has to be in retail hospitality uh, construction in terms of labourers and all that sort of stuff um, so it'll be interesting to see. I think it's a bit early to make that call. I mean, the one thing we have seen is a reduction in, um, obviously, vacancies. Um, job vacancies, so, so job yeah. Ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Job, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, wrapping it up, we've covered a lot of ground. So construction industry, um, interest rates, go long, go short, um, inflation around the world and unemployment. So I suppose uh, every week things will unfold and we'll have a clearer picture. Yeah. It's it for another week. Awesome. See you later. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in the future, get in touch with us at david at squirrel.co.nz or john at squirrel.co.nz. And please do share this uh, and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. 
The opinions expressed in this podcast are not financial advice or a recommendation of any financial product. Any commentary provided are personal views and are not necessarily representative of the opinions of Squirrel. As always, we recommend seeking professional investment or mortgage advice before taking any action.